Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Uh, I want to welcome Jim Berkman to the Phil Lacrosophy podcast. Jim is the head coach at Salisbury University. He's been there for 31 years, has won 12 national championships, and has, I don't know, 550 wins and 50 losses, something like that. Jim's one of the greatest coaches in the history of our game and couldn't be more excited about uh, having you on the podcast. Jim, how's it going? It's going good. Excited to be uh, back in fall ball and being back out there with the guys. That's, you know, that's my favorite thing. I love practice and uh, and I love fall ball, especially because we get to do some things we don't normally get to do in the season to, to help kids develop. That's awesome. I mean, when we were talking and texting back and forth about doing this podcast and you were like, what are we going to talk about? And I kind of gave you a few options and you immediately jumped on development. So I'm really pumped to talk to you about that. But I'd really like to start first with, you know, your own personal development. You know, after, after having won as much as you've won, and, and never seeming to rest, what do you do to keep sharpening your own saw? Well, you know, I think it starts every day, you know, and I want to win today. That's always kind of been my philosophy in a, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I, I get up at five o'clock most days. Uh, I'm an early riser, you know, research of anybody that was ever great in anything. There were people that got up uh, starting with Ben Franklin and Abe Lincoln. They got up early in the morning and got things done. So, most days I'm up five, five fifteen, and I usually read to almost quarter, quarter to eight before I go into the office. And starts out with some scripture, and you know, then it goes to usually a couple books that I'm reading. I'm a, I have a bad habit; I usually never read one book. I'm reading two or three books at the same time, so I read a chapter of one and then a chapter of another, and uh, mostly leadership books um, that can help me, you know, say the message that uh, we want to say to our players, but maybe in a different way. To, to get them to be the best they can be. So that, that, that's usually, you know, one of the things that I start my day at, you know, every day. And I think that's, that, that helps me develop. It's always finding me a new angle to do new things and inspire people to, to be their best. And, and, in, and in the process, I think it inspires me to try to do new things and, uh, and encourages me to read even more. You know, I think the more I read, the, the more I realize what I don't know. And in um, and, and that pursuit um, is hopefully making me a better person but, uh, you know, and, and hopefully a better coach. Um, you know, watch videos. Uh, you know, I like pop up the YouTubes once in a while, see what's going on. And, you know, with, you know whose latest Hartzell was showing some checks the other day and uh, his, his defensive camp. I, I was watching a two-on-two uh, pick and slip video the other day. Um, you know, th- those kinds of things are kind of neat now with everybody putting everything out there. Um, so I, I do that a little bit. We usually try to attend a D1 practice in the fall. Uh, or two. Um, you know, last year we were up at Loyola, the year before we were at Hopkins, and just shared some thoughts with the coaches there and see what they were doing. Um, but, you know, I'm always looking for a different way to, to really say some of the same things uh, to get the, the message across that to, to do your best. And, uh, you know, this game ain't brain surgery. You know, the kids, the people that pass and catch better, you know, are better players and, and the people that shoot better. And how do we get people to do those same things that we've been talking about years? but maybe to approach it in a different way because they've heard it so many times the same way. 
Really cool. And what, uh, what are some of the, your favorite books that you've read lately that maybe some of our listeners might want to go grab? Well, I think uh, there's a few things I've read lately I'm pretty excited about. Um, I, I've reread before Fall Ball, which I have the last couple years. I've read uh, Winning in a Locker Room by John Gordon, and I, I read it again this year right before the start of Fall Ball to talk about the seven C's and uh, commitment and culture and, and I, you know, just to kind of reinforce a lot of the things that we talk about on a daily basis. Um, a guy I really liked and enjoyed, and I've, I've kind of gone through his whole thing, is, is Josh Metcalf. You know, Josh Metcalf wrote Burn Your Goals, Pound the Stone, Chop Wood, Carry Water, Hustle. Um, and it's a little different approach uh, to, to the being the best that you can be and how you live your life. And I've really enjoyed his books recently. Um, and uh, I just got, and I'm, I'm reading, my two books I'm reading right now are uh, Vince Lombardi on Leadership by Pat Williams and uh, Building Champions, Success Principles A to Z by Jimmy Beckler. Now, Jimmy Beckler wrote one of the best books I think ever that any coach could give his players. And that's called the leadership playbook. And uh, it just goes through what a, being a good teammate is, how to be a good teammate, how to be accountable. And uh, it's a great book for any, just to have your whole team read. And uh, I really like that book. And, uh, but he's got a new book out building champion success principles, A to Z that I just started reading um, literally yesterday. Cool. So those are some of the things I've read recently. Love it. When you say have your whole team read it, how do you go about making that happen? You sort of assign chapter by chapter and discuss, or how do you go about that? Well, I, you know, I, I watched Loyola last year because they were uh, they were reading one of John Go Gordon's book, uh, you know, the Energy Bus, and we actually were part of one of their chapter reviews, and uh, they had the they have, they were responsible for a chapter and a couple kids had to give a little presentation on that chapter and how it applied to, to their culture, you know, in their pre-practice meeting that day. Um, I haven't done a whole book yet, but I've had our captains uh, last year read the leadership playbook and we kind of chatted a little bit with them about, you know, how that applied to their responsibilities to, to make themselves more accountable and also to, to make others more accountable in what they do. Um, but a couple of our other coaches in our department have used the leadership playbook. They've used the energy bus. They've had their whole team read the books and, and then come back and, you know, especially in preseason meetings and talk about how it applies and maybe a guiding theme they could take from those books that would make them a better, better team throughout the year. Yeah. Awesome. How about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts at all? I haven't done a lot of podcasts. Um, my assistant coach, Coach Axel, is always throwing me one, or Maddie McGinnis, one of my former guys who's AD at Worcester Prep, are always telling me, hey, look at this podcast, look at that podcast. It's something I probably need to do a little bit more. Um, you know, I've listened to a couple from Lax Coach Mike uh, and some of his podcasts with some of the coaches. Um, but probably something I need to do a little bit more of. Yeah, it's one of those things where you just got to figure out a way to do it during a workout or something or on a long drive, you know. <clears throat> The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. Um, you, you have a pretty significant love of basketball and a, and a solid background. And, and um, you know, how do you use other sports and, you know, you're just a passion for – coaching and tying that together to, to, to help develop your players and your program? 
Well, you know, I do watch a lot of basketball, Jamie. You know, I, I played college basketball. Um, I coached college basketball. And, I, you know, I think it's one of the greatest sports of all time and it, as far as it, especially as it applies to the game of lacrosse. But when I'm watching it, you know, I'm always looking for something they're doing out there, you know, that that we could utilize, especially, you know, in our offense. Uh, we have a lot of quick hitter plays here uh, that a lot of teams don't believe in because they think it's it's too much. But we do have, you know, several quick hitter plays that lead to a shot that that we utilize that, you know, I think kind of come out of a, the basketball 24-second clock and some of the things that the pros do that, uh, you know, I'm always looking for a new angle on how they approach or pick or repick or to get somebody open and maybe how we could apply it to our game, uh, you know. I'm always looking at the pick and roll thing now is, is the box version of, of lacrosse is coming into the field game and, and what they're doing on the pick and rolls and the repicks and stuff in the game of basketball and how it may apply to what we could do in our two-man game. Um, and then I'm always looking at what's going on off ball when I'm watching a game. Are, are kids being hard to guard? How are they setting up screens? You know, how are they fading to get open? Um, how do guys get shots off quicker in, in hoops that, that maybe apply to, to guys getting shots off quicker, you know, in, in, in the game of lacrosse. And then the last thing I'm always looking for, because I think this is a big part of the game now. And it, again, it's from, from the box is uh, what forms of deception are those basketball guys using? You know, how are they freezing people? What kind of fakes are they making with the ball? Uh, what kind of hesitations, the look offs, all those things that are freezing defenders and, you know, and creating opportunities. And we see that more and more in the game of lacrosse every day now. And so we try to encourage those things, especially when we're doing our three on two, four and three and five on four small sided things of uh, Hey, let, let's really work on faking today. Let's really work on box fakes. Let's work on head fakes in our three on two. Let's try to freeze some people a little bit more today. And then in, in practicing it in those situations, I think we get better at bringing it to the six on six game. Uh, in the man up game that could lead to some more shots for sure. No doubt. I, I truly believe the difference between good and great is deception. I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of players that, you know, if they didn't fake as much as they did, they wouldn't be close to the level that, of player they are. And, and there's players that, you know, could fake so much more and, and, you know, be deceptive, use hesitations, use fakes, look things off, Basketball, you know, naturally, it's like you, when you're going to the basket, everyone's going to block your shot. You, if you don't hesitate and look off, you got to look off the basket and freeze all the help and look away. And uh, in lacrosse, people are just kind of long dodging and going as hard as they can to beat their guy um, kind of growing up. And, and I think the box game honestly kind of teaches that stuff to a higher level just because of lack of space. Um, but uh, that's really interesting. It's cool stuff. And, and so, which kind of leads me into um, my next uh, question, which is, you know, you're huge on player development. I want to, I want to hear a lot about it, a lot of different things, but overall, what's your philosophy on player development? Well, I think it's a couple of things starting, you know, first of all, you got to have a plan, you know, and I think some of the things that you're trying to do with these kids to help them get better is that they got a plan to get better and you're trying to show them what they're doing wrong so they can get a plan to get better. I think so many kids in our game just haphazardly approach the game and how they're going to get better. You know, they, they think they're going to go to the wall. Well, they go to the wall and they do a little bit of wall, but they go to the wall. They don't have a plan. They just go there and throw the ball at the wall. Well, that's a good start, right? But, yeah. you know, 
go to the wall and have a plan. You know, it's 50, 50 times of this, 50 times of that. You know, uh, we got a really good defenseman as a sophomore. He played about half of the championship game last year. He was 6'4", 208. You know, he's a classic D1 defenseman that you're dying to have. Great feet now. But, man, the kid is just a great worker. And he knows, you know, he knows today's Monday and it's chest and try day. You know, he's got a journal. He's recording everything. He knows he's got to do 25 minutes of footwork. He's doing box jumps. He's got a ladder routine. He's going to do three minutes of jumping rope. He knows for 20 minutes he's going to go to the wall ball and he's going to do the Kyler Berkman wall ball routine. You know, and then, then he knows he's going to go out and run a mile and a half and sprint the telephone poles and a fart lick type of thing, and that's his two-hour workout today. You know, he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. I think so many kids in our game just don't have a plan. Yeah, I'm going to go out and shoot today. Well, that's a good start, but, you know, what am I going to do when I go out and shoot today? Hey, you know what? I got to work on my hesitations. Hey, I got to work on my fakes. Hey, I got to work on a quicker release. You know, I'm going to do these things 50 times. So I think it starts with a plan, you know, and um, especially in all levels. You know, as much as we know about weightlifting, lacrosse guys are still light years behind what football players are, you know, when they get to us. Uh, it's amazing how many kids, when they get to college, you know, that they don't even know how to, how to bench press. It cracks me up when we do our test. And, I, you know, and we, I see four or five freshmen that got their hands in the wrong spots, you know, that's like a tricep lift instead of a bench. Because they don't even know how to lift, lift, a, lift it yet. Uh, which tells me that they didn't buy in what I told them two years ago before they got here that, you know, got to be strong. We don't, you know, you need to be a man when you arrive. So obviously they didn't have a plan. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing that we believe in here, and we talk about it every time, is we call it edging. And it's kind of a philosophy of our program. It's been a philosophy of our program for, for 30 years. And edging is the work outside of the normal three to five practice time. You know, now other programs are catching up with that now because of the advancement in technology. But, you know, 20 years ago, a lot of guys weren't doing that, but we were doing that. There was a lot more wall ball going on here outside of three to five. There was a lot more shooting going on outside of three to five. And there was a lot more lifting going. Uh, you know, on here be, and guys lifting four and five times a week instead of two and three times a week. So thus we, we had a little bit of an edge, you know, and so we always kind of define that as edging. It's kind of funny if you come around here, you know, a kid walks down the hallway before he even says hello to me, he'll say, Hey coach, I already got an edge in today. You know, I was in, you know, I, I was out wall balling. So that's like a theme, you know, of our program. And I think that helps a lot with our, you know, our player development for sure. And we're always talking about, getting better today here don't tell me about what you're doing next week don't tell me what you're doing next summer hey you're the fifth midi and you're in the middle of practice and it's the middle of the season and you haven't played in a fourth game today don't tell me what you're going to do next summer tell me what you did today before you got to practice that's going to get you off that fifth or fourth line and get you on that second line next year you know and that freshman defenseman went from being fifth or sixth defenseman and cush every day you go down the way he went in our weight room from 1130 to, to one o'clock, even on a practice day, that kid was in there. By the end of the season, what happened? He had to get on the field because he had gotten a lot better. Um, so what are you doing to get better today? You know, we're always talking about that's a guiding theme. Um, we're always talking about here every day, some in some mode about, you know, the love and dedication to the journey and the process. And, and, and you got to do things outside of the normal three to five if you want to be great. Um, I think a couple of things why we get stronger here is that, you know, our kids learn to love to lift. And then because we have a PM weight room in the fall, not an AM weight room, 
you know, and, and I think a lot of kids, and we've had a few Division One transfers that come here, and they hated to lift. And then all of a sudden, they got here, and they learned to love to lift. Why? Because we weren't lifting at 6 o'clock in the morning. We were lifting at <laughs> 3 to 5 in the afternoon, Yeah. you know, and, and kids that, in college, you know, kids don't go to bed at 9 o'clock so you can get up at 6 o'clock and give a good effort. And so even though they're there, they don't lift to the point that's going to get them better, and plus they don't learn to love it. And uh, so, you know, when we're with our strength coach in the fall, it's three to five, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, um, because that's more of a normal time. And then I think kids learn to love to lift more by, just by the, the change in the time of day. Um, but talking about other sports and what it brings to the game of lax, um, you know, obviously learning other skills and, and other things you take from programs. But in regard to getting better in player development, I think what other sports teach people that they got to have when they get to us is that they got to learn to be competitive and compete every day for two to two and a half hours for six days a week, you know? And uh, if you don't play other sports, that's just not in your, your routine. Yeah. Um, so you're not used to it. And I call it the 90, 10 rule. Um, if we took a hundred kids that told me that weren't going to play football this year, there'd only be 10 of them that were working out six days a week for two hours a day. You know, they might go do a little wall ball and they might do a little shooting, but they're only doing it a couple of days a week. They're not doing it. They're not out there practicing football every day from three to five 30 and competing on Friday or Saturday night, six days a week. No so doubt. when they get to us, the other 90% say, Oh man, that's too much coach. You guys are working out every day, six days a week. Well, you know, if you would have been playing basketball and you would have been playing football every day, wouldn't have been anything new. That's what you do, you know, and back in my era, that's what we did. Everybody competed from three to five thirty. That's what you did. And so now when you get to us in college, we're going to focus a little bit as the one guys are on the game of lacrosse for your two, two and a half hours, six days a week, you know? And so it's not a grind for those people. That's their expectation. That's their, Yeah. They're used to it. Yeah. No you know, doubt. Used to it. So, you know, I think that's the most important thing about playing other sports is that you, you're used to the competing and being competitive and doing it six days a week, doing it two, two and a half hours a day. And, uh, and it's part of your routine. So you know how to study around those two and a half hours, whether it's before or after. And that makes the, the studying thing easier when you get to college also. Do you guys have much um, pickup pick game lacrosse going on? You know, kind of the way the kids would play pickup hoops. Do you ever do that with the sport of lacrosse in any way? Well, you know, we're limited in what we can do and what we can't do as far as the rules go. Um, but we have a couple goals that we bought in the upstairs gym, uh, just little four-by-four four goals, and they're always in there. And so I think generally what happens is, uh, you know, we get to these fall days when it gets a little bit cooler and it's after fall ball that you'll see our guys playing their form of trash can lacrosse in there. And their form is uh, they usually play four-on-four, and with a, you know, with a tennis ball, they don't have any equipment on and there's no checking. I'm sure there's a lot of pushing. There's probably more checks than you're, you're supposed right. to. It's people aggravated, just like you pushing a few people down in the post when you're playing basketball, right? Yeah. Get a little aggravated. Um, and the closest guy to the goal, uh, when there's a turnover, has to go play in the goal. And they play four and three and they move the ball and they shoot and, and the winner stays on. And uh, they play it more like pickup basketball, game to three and boom, the next four guys come on and they're in there doing that on some of the days when it's foul weather after, uh, you know, foul ball. How and often do you say guys form, do that? That's our form of pickup, you know, kind of lacrosse on the indoor version, you know, here. But the goals are always in our upstairs gym, and 
the gym can be divided into three by the dividers. So it kind of creates a nice little small box arena for them to be able to do that. How often do you guys do that? Well, that happens when we get out of fall ball and I can't be around. And, you know, that's the, hey, guys, you know, it's foul weather today. Let's, let's go play pickup. You know, that's, you know, within the confines and with the leadership of the captains. Yeah. So they just kind of do it in whatever, maybe five, ten times a year during the offseason or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it, it, it happens a lot of times on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, once uh, fall ball is over and they're back to the, – they're in their strength program up to three to five, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays they're doing that a little bit. I'm a huge believer in, in pickup games. I mean, obviously, you know, can you imagine being a basketball player and only kind of just shooting around in the driveway and showing up at practice to become a good basketball player? No, not at all. I mean, because I just – I live basketball every day. I mean, it's all it was. I mean, like, I, I, I never even really played organized basketball, but I played probably more pickup basketball than any other sport, you know, that there was. Being in the athletic department for 20 years, you play noon hoops almost every day until you get too old. But, but the point is, is that I think – I personally believe, you know, earlier we were talking about faking and player development and, 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 and like, why is it that, you know, in lacrosse, people just don't fake that much. And yet in other sports like box lacrosse, they fake more or in basketball, they fake more. And I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that in basketball, you play so much pickup, you just learn how to do this stuff. Nobody taught me how to like, when I made a move by someone to hesitate and look to my left as I was driving to my right. Uh, I just learned how to do it to be able to buy myself a little bit of time to lay it in without getting a shot blocked. And I think that the problem is with, with, practice situations you you just either afraid to make the that play or you're just you know you're you you just don't get enough reps in live play to get really slick and I, I had some great conversations with like Red Burnham about the natives and, 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 and per capita the Native Americans have more world-class players than, than any population and it's not even close there's only about 1500 to 2000 Native Americans in this country yet every 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 time we turn around there's another Hall of Fame caliber player coming up and, and they do stuff that any kid could do, but they don't. And these kids grow up playing more pickup and box than anything else. And so, I don't know. I, I was curious to get your opinion on that. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, obviously it's just, you know, basketball is the one sport that, you know, people just do more by picking up and playing. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons that, you know, we're not that good in soccer. Why? Because we don't play in the streets like the other countries. And so that's we don't right. have the skill. You know, we're, we're always playing for that organized team and the club team. And we, so we don't have that free play and we don't have the special touch on the ball because, you know, when, when you're in organized practices, you don't touch the ball that much. But if you're in the backyard with one or two guys, you're touching the ball all the time, you know. And, and, and so it's almost a you know, problem of our whole society with all our sports. It is. You know? Totally agree. The special touch. I love that terminology. It's really cool. I wrote that down. The special touch. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. Now I know, uh, talk to me a little bit about shooting. I mean, it's something that you've done. I've watched, you know, all your videos on shooting and I've watched you present on it. Um, I'm not sure. First of all, where can our listeners find some of that information? Probably on YouTube if they Google you. Yeah, YouTube, Berkman, you can find a bunch of it. You know, Championship Products has a bunch of the films that we have all our shooting drills on. Um, 
So those are, but if you YouTube Berkman, a lot of stuff comes up that you probably can get that, um, that would help you in a lot of, a lot of different ways that people have, have, uh, have gotten off of those other videos and put them up there. Um, but shooting, uh, I think there's a, you know, when we talk about developing shooters, I think number one, it's important that we, uh, proper repetition, proper repetition, proper technique. Uh, again, you know, we, we're started fall ball. We have sessions in the morning. Uh, we call them fundamental sessions, 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning, where it's mainly fundamentals. We have two cages going on sh with shooting. Um, and the one cage has a camera and it has a speed gun. And I usually pull out three or four guys at a time. If I have a couple kids injured, I'll have them feed the ball. Um, and we video people. And uh, we put it back in the locker room and we go over it a little bit with them and because it's amazing, you know, if you if you look at we, – we got about eight or nine kids that can really bring it this year. I'm excited about our ability to shoot the ball. They're all juniors and seniors. Great technique, high hands, over the top. I mean, push and pull, snapping your wrist. Um, and then, a, you know, a freshman, three or four freshmen will come through and shoot. And, and then, you know, I keep telling them to get their hands higher, you know, push and pull, finish it. And uh, they're like, Coach, I am. And then they go in there and they see the film of the – you know, the, the upperclassmen and they see their, their hands and they say, holy cow, his hands are like, you know, 18 inches higher than mine, you know, and then and, and they just, they don't realize how bad a technique that they have. Um, so yes. teaching them to shoot right and seeing the proper way to shoot right is, is the first start for us. And again, even though we're at a high level, it's amazing when the kids get here you know that just don't know how to really shoot yeah it's amazing yeah and so the, the point you made on the video is so key like i was telling you before our call here i was i've been working so much with video and watching athletes and working with athletes and you know the rift that coaches and athletes can have usually is because the athlete thinks they're doing what the coach is asking them to do <laughs> and they just don't realize that they're not and uh, there's either a, 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 a little bit of a disconnect on exactly what, what, what the coach is asking for. And the, co the kid thinks he's doing it and he's doing something different. Or he, there's no disconnect, but he actually thinks his hands are high enough and they're not. And you're like, listen, I mean, I'm just telling you. But until you have the film, the film is just the big, biggest cure-all because it's like, it's simple. There's nothing, it's cut and dry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once they see that, and then I kind of refer them again, which they've already been referred to in the past, there's like, there's a clip on there of a Berkman shooting technique on the internet somewhere uh, where it uh, talks, it has guys breaking it down, you know, getting on their knees, getting their hands up, putting the ball on the stick and coming over the top and shooting shots. And then, you know, one knee down, one leg up, standing still, crossing your body and shooting across your body. Just, you know, a whole thing to try to get your hands higher all the time and, and teach people how to shoot technique and get them to do some of that stuff on an individual goal a little bit more on their free time. But that's kind of, you know, what, what we do to, to try to get them to learn to shoot better. Um, but I think the second thing when we talk about developing shooters and we talk about coaching is the commitment to time, Jamie. You know, a lot of coaches think it's all about, hey, what, Coach Burke, what are you doing on offense? Well, hopefully we're passing and catching and we're shooting a lot better than you are. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if you're running a two-man game or if you're running the Syracuse 42 offense or, you know, whatever you do. You got to be able to pass and catch and you got to be able to shoot better. So, to me, spending, spending 25 or 30 minutes in practice on shooting is way more important than maybe what you're doing on offense. No doubt. Um, 
so that we can shoot better when our opportunities, you know, and it's amazing when you pass and catch better and you shoot better, you don't have to spend a lot of time on offense. You can tell kids to do something once and they can go out there and do it. Um, so, you know, we have a, we have a huge commitment to the amount we shoot here. Uh, fall ball Tuesdays and Thursdays is six 30 to seven 30 and our kids shoot a couple hundred shots. Cause it's all fundamentals on fall ball in the morning. So then we come back and do the other stuff at night. Um, in the spring, we call it pre-practice shooting. So 320, usually to around 345 or 350, you know, we got a couple goals going out there and there's a couple hundred balls and they're going through a series of 10 to 20 drills that we have and they're getting a lot of shots. Um, and so there's that commitment to the time that a lot of coaches don't, we don't have time to shoot that much. Well, yeah. You don't have time to shoot that much, you're not going to become better shooters. And, you know, the games are all getting closer. It's like, you know, lacrosse is becoming the NFL. There's a lot more one-goal games. Any given Sunday, you yeah. know, you can get beat. And what's the difference? You go – it's one statistics. You go to the shooting. How do no they doubt. shoot today? And uh, so, you know, we, we, we commit to it. So, we – maybe we don't do as much six-on-six. Six. We don't do a lot of six-on-six six offense here. You know, it, we don't do as many of those things. Because why? Because we shoot more. Yeah. Uh, you and got it. Yeah, time, and then you probably better. figure out a way to get – sorry, go ahead. So, at the same time, we clear better, I think, because our defensive sticks are better because when they're shooting, they're doing a series of clearing drills that are really ball drills, but they're not line drills. They're, you know, roll pressure, throw back, move the ball across that would be relative to the passes that they would be making that, you know, they would be clearing the ball. And so the sticks get better on defense at the same time we're shooting because, you know, they're not beating on each other that maybe that period that you would be normally beating on each other because we're shooting a lot and they're doing stick work relative to the clearing game. Yeah. Great stuff. What about uh, shooting on goalies and in, in deceptive shooting? Uh, well, usually not every day. Because uh, we, we're fortunate, you know, we have Eric Miller, who was a pro goalie for like 15 years, and yeah. he's a goalie of the year for me in 1994. He's still in the area in pharmaceutical sales. So he gets over a couple days a week. He doesn't get here every day. But the days he comes, when we're doing the shooting drills, we usually pull out four guys. And we kind of have them on the four corners, and he puts a goalie in the cage. And, you know, we make a pass or two, so the goalie's got to work on moving. And, and we let the guys shoot pretty hard from, you know, 13 to 15 yards on the goalies after a pass to, to see who's got, you know, to work on the goalie play, but also to let the shooter shoot on the goalies. Um, and then every day here we do box shooting. We call it box shooting. So it's a figure eight in front of the goal. Uh, kid usually takes eight to 10 reps. There's a live goalie in there. It's one-on-one -on -one shooting. So the goalies don't get hit. Um, and we have a variety. Of, we have a whole series of drills, outside hand, inside hand, strong hand, off hand, step unders. Um, that we do with the goalies and and every day when when we're stretching the the top four or five attackmen are always with me on a cage and we're doing those those drills and in the fall ball when we get off the field at 7 30 i usually keep the four or five attackmen for another 12 minutes or so and we do that inside box shooting and so our guys are pretty good at finishing one-on-one -on -one inside our attackmen especially because they get a lot of you know they got they a live, rep. live reps on a goalie yeah. And they're doing it in a variety of ways. You know, uh, they're coming around the corner. They're coming around the corner. They got to step under, away from the defender, and then they got to fake and score. 
Um, and then we usually end it, especially with the two crease guys, we move the cones up to eight yards and they come around the cones and figure eight and they're shooting from eight yards, but they're not winding up and they're working on a tight wrist shot, like a good Canadian box player. They can release yep. it quick and pop it to a, to the open net and, uh, and they're getting a lot better at shooting wrist shots instead of, you, you know, big wind up shots. It's awesome. Now you do a ton of, um, you, you referenced it earlier, but you talk about your three on two, four on three five on four and, and and I don't think you and I have ever chatted about this but I've, I've definitely like seen um, some of the drills that you run and in which you are simulating all even situations in your uneven situation so you turn a three on two drill into a dodge with movement and motion um, and as you were talking about hey I you know we, we commit to shooting we do less six on six some coaches might be like, well, how do you know how to move and all that? And I'm just wondering if it's in your three-on-two, four-on-three, and five-on-four drills that you're able to work on what I call kill three or four birds with one stone. You know, you're working on your unevens. You're working on dodging, feeding, moving, motions, and all of the above. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, there's a couple of drills that I would like, especially that, that kind of do what you're talking about. First of all, is we have like four corners, and we call it the one-on-one to three-on-two drill. And uh, so we, we go, we, we rotate around the four corners, but we start at a different corner every time. So whatever, if we start up top, the two adjacent players are in on the sides, the defenders on the ball from that line up top, and then it's always opposites on defense. So if, if the ball starts up top, the guy that would be guarding the crease is now in behind. So it's a three on two, but the guys starting out are going one on one. Their objective, it's a one on one drill. He's not throwing the ball down the side. He's trying to beat that guy. But there's also a defender in there that's realistically a slide guy and a hot guy. And so if he makes a split dodge left to right and starts coming down the right, then that guy that's on his right's got a C hook, create space. And then that guy on the backside has got to be thinking about where he's getting open, you know, relative if it's a dodge down to the corner or throwback, and then where he's going to get that pass on the backside. And then once we make a pass because of a slide, then it becomes a three on two. And then we'll go over to the right corner. Now the guy's on the right corner, the guy up top, and the guy behind's in. And then the defender's on the ball, and the guy on the opposite wing is this backup. And I love that drill. Uh, it, it, it works on our one-on-one -on -one play, but it also teaches our kids to move off the ball. Um, and it teaches you – know, it's one-on-one -on -one more realistically because, you know, somebody's going to slide to you. And then yeah. you've got to make a thing. But you can also do that same drill four-on-three. Yeah. You know? You do the same, same spots, and now you have four and three guys in, and they have to play off of that, dodge hard to score, create space, and then boom, move the ball, and it's a four and three. So, you know, those are two drills that we do, and we do those a lot uh, instead of versus. We don't do a whole lot of just one-on-ones here because I don't yeah. think we'll play some two-on-two, -two, but yeah. we don't do just one-on-one. Yeah, you know? it's just not efficient and it's not realistic. You know, it's really interesting because there's a lot of coaches – that struggle with the concept of like, but why would you ever dodge when you were three on two? And it's the answer is we're simulating all even while we're getting the benefits of uneven. And it allows you to do so many more things. So I, I love that setup. I, before I knew about the way you did that, I did all kinds of three on two Three on two, dodge the alley, shallow cut. Three on two, clear through. Three on two, fade. Three on two, pass down, pick down. And just tried to, like, get every single motion that you could think of 
in, in a three on two or a four on three drill. But I think it's really neat to, to sort of get it into the four corner setup. Do you ever do it out of a diamond as well? Or do you primarily do it out of a box or do you mix it? No, up? usually it is a diamond. It's up behind and on the corners. And uh, like if we have tight space, because we're doing two goals at the same time, then we'll do it more out of the corners. Mm -hmm. um, but we also do the thing when we do a four on threes too. We'll, you know, be a four on three pass down, pick down, you know, where you got to pass the ball. And then we're going to, you know, you got to set two picks and we'll instill some rules that there's got to be so many picks or screens, you know, within that four on three session so that we're working on picking and slipping and, and bringing that part of the equation to the, the four on three also. It's awesome. And, you know, it, it, doing those drills, in my opinion, you know, allows you the time to shoot as much as you shoot because now you've, you've covered so much of what your offense would need to learn in their six on six anyways, because they're getting the dodges, they're getting the motions, they're getting the, you know, the throwbacks, the dump downs, the one mores. And then the beauty of it is, is they're ending up with a great scoring chance, um, either a dunk in a three on two or, or a mid range shot in a four on three. And not only are they getting a shot, but now they're getting, you know, getting a lot of shots in that situation, but they're also getting a live shots on goalies. Yes. You know, exactly. which, you know, that complements all the shooting you're doing, but now you're getting more shots realistically on a goalie that you wouldn't get if you were playing six on six, totally. you know, that becomes, teaches you to be a better shooter. What's your, um, switching gears from offense to defense, you know, you, um, you referenced the fact that earlier before our call that you're going to be pretty young on defense this year, but you've really been known as sort of a high pressure defense. What, what would you say your defensive philosophy is? And has it kind of stayed the same over the course of years? Obviously you evolve as a coach, but, but have you generally kept the same philosophy? Has it changed and where are you at now? Um, well, I think there's a couple things, you know, we always, you know, believe we're, our philosophy starts on defense that we're guarding you when you get off the bus. It's always kind of been that mindset that we want to pose our will and want to get after people um, within the confines of the rules. You know, obviously, with, you know, 25 years ago, we had some guys that could really take the ball away, you know, but the sticks weren't so good. So when you checked them, the ball came out then. Uh, so we don't do a lot of checking anymore um, like we used to, but we still get on people. We still impose our will pretty good. Um, but like any great team defense, and everybody talks about, you know, teams that play great team defense, you know, we always talk to our players that, you know, to play great team defense, uh, any great team defense has great individual defenders. Yeah. And you can't play defense if you don't – if you've got to slide all the time, you're never going to be any good on defense. I just – you can't slide that much that often. Maybe you can against teams that aren't very good on offense, but if sooner or later you play a good offensive team, you can't be sliding that much. It just doesn't work that way. So we have to work on becoming better team defenders, individual defenders for sure. Um, but I think it's just a series of drills, you know, and it starts out with the one we've already talked about one-on-one -on -one to three on twos, you know, guarding the ball, but then being off ball and when to slide, when to show. Um, my assistant coach, coach Sandlin's been with me for 14 years. He played here as a first team all American. He teaches across the street at the high school. So, you know, it's like having another head coach down on defense. And so, you know, we, we do a lot of show drills, a lot of slide drills, approach, stick placement, and we do a lot of those things in the morning, in the fall, in the, in the AM session so that they get better at showing because I'm not a big slide guy. And they get better at sliding when they need to. And, and their approaches become better. And, you know, they, they learn to, you know, one of the kids come from high school, they never get their sticks to the inside. They get their stick in one hand, whatever hand it is, if it's upfield, they keep it upfield. And we teach them to keep their sticks inside a lot better. And he does those things in the morning. And we play a lot of two-on-two -two after that um, to kind of reinforce some of the principles. And then the other two things we do here a lot is we play a lot of four on four. 
a lot when we call it our hub drill. Um, we get it around once, you know, and we focus on the D guys getting in and out, not, you know, and uh, being at proper angles, getting into the hub and getting back. Um, and once it goes around once, you know, we're live and, and we play out of that. And, uh, you know, they teaching off the ball and being, you know, concepts of being below the ball, showing, sliding, who's hot. And, um, and then one of the drill we do, we call it a five-on-five five slide to hub drill where we'll uh, play five-on-five five and we'll start from behind and uh, the guy will drive to X against like 70% pressure and uh, we'll automatically cross-crease slide. And then, you know, just to get rotations in and we'll throw the ball to X, that guy will drive up the other side and he'll cross-crease slide um, and we'll get a rotation and then we'll dump the ball up top We'll go full speed hard down the alley. We'll you know, we'll get a good sh good show in, dump the ball, and then you know work on a throwback, get it back up top, and dodge down the other alley real hard. Get a really good show in, and and then we'll play then we'll play hard out of that five on five. Uh, so we'll work on a few rotations. We'll work on a couple good shows. Work on a backside, you know, push. Um, so they're kind of doing those things in the situation, but not all out. And then boom, the drill becomes all out and they play. So out. it's a five on five drill with some scripted motions, some slides, rotations, ball movement, one, you know, from behind on one side, from behind on the other, kick it up and yeah. over, God show. And then it's live after that. So you kind of like get almost like a live skeleton. That's, that's kind of three quarter speed, no checks. And then all of a sudden it turns into a live drill. Yeah. So defenders have had to rotate, you know, they've had to show the backside defense defenders got to get down below the ball and get a stick on the crease guy so he can push the guy across. So they're simulating all those good defensive principles and then boom, it goes right into, Hey, we're live now. And that's another drill that we do on defense to help re because that way we're reinforcing our principles but then we're bringing it into a live situation very quickly also. Yeah. I, I, think, I think a lot of coaches end up spending way too much time on six on six because they think they have to. And explain to people why you believe that you can get it done better in four on four and five on five than in six on six. Well, number one, it's more reps. You know, <laughs> guys are touching the ball on offense a whole lot more on four on four. Um, and if you can't learn to create space four on four, you're never going to learn to create space six on six on offense that that's for sure you know but that's going to teach you how to do it a little bit better than I think than it easily comes to the six on six stuff um but uh, you're also left hanging out there on defense a little bit more where you can see things and uh you know where you got to slide and where you got to show from and and you got to do it more often than if you're on six on six um so I just think the reps that you get both on the offense and defense um and if for us, it helps us evaluate better. No doubt. So you can hide a little bit more six on six. You can. Especially if the team's not very good on offense. But you can't hide in four on four. You know, if you're out there in four on four and you're covering the off-ball uh, midi up top and, you, you know, you're not down there and, and getting your stick in there to help and push somebody, you're really exposed. And it really emphasizes the mistake, I think. Um, and you can go through a six on six practice and not necessarily have to do all that much depending on, you know, who's out there. Right. But in four on four, that same quality of play, like you said, exposes you. And all of a sudden, you know, there's enough space for the offense to make the defense really work and get better. Yeah. I mean, you take some of your own middies and uh, like one of the drills we've done the last three days in fall ball is that we have all the old middies uh, that our main group of eight or nine guys they go over with Coach Sandlin, our defensive coach, and now they are the defensive team. 
along with the LSM. So three, three offensive middies with one LSM play defense, and then the second middies and the D middies play offense. And that, those guys are over there learning so that if they get caught, they're not going to expose us to opportunities because they know how to play defense. And if they don't do that and they get in a game, it's a one-goal game. And you know, what's one-goal game come down to a lot of times? It's an offensive midi who's made a mistake on defense. He didn't slide right. He didn't approach right. He didn't get down the backside. Um, and, he, and he cost you a game. Well, you never played defense with him. Whose fault is it? Is it the kid's fault or is it your fault? Because – he didn't spend that time learning how to play a little bit of defense. What's your, um, what's your process for teaching communication on defense? I don't know if it's a process, but we kind of get on them real hard. Like when they're doing those show drills and slide drills, Coach Sandlin is really good about getting on them about, you know, ball back, right, back, left, who's hot. And he, he, he doesn't let them go. I mean, he, he'll stop it and, you know, he'll get them going again and, um, so in those show drills and slide drills, they're talking all the time. Um, and I think because they're in those drills and they're forced to communicate so much that it, that's probably our number one key to getting them to communicate. But, you know, I meet with all the freshmen every Monday with their academics. And then I talk a little bit about lacrosse after that with them. And I mean, every defender has been in here the last couple of weeks for them. It's like, man, you got to start talking. You're, you're like out there on an Island. It's like, it's not you and who you're guarding. You know, I haven't heard you. It's like they go into a little clam, like a little shell out there. They got to they got to learn to communicate better. So, you know, they they got they got buy in more to what's going on in those drills. They they think they're talking, but you know they haven't even scratched the surface of what it's got to be if you're going to be a good defender. I think uh, communication is so hard because generally it, it it all happens so fast. You're just not used to doing it, and, and it's hard to communicate. You know, in real time when things are happening, you you, you want to. <laughs> you kind of know what you're supposed to say, but it happens so fast. I bet you your your sort of half speed five on five drill with those rotations is huge for communication because it it, it allows the kids to kind of know what's going to happen, happen a little slower, and they can actually talk through those scenarios. I bet you that that is a huge benefit of that. Of that yeah, when that drill kind of re, that reinforces the communication, but also like playing four and four too. You know, again, there's four guys out there. You can really isolate the coaching into those four players. And, you know, hey, you didn't talk about being back right on that. Hey, you didn't take two steps to show when he started to dodge. Hey, you were on the backside. You were the two slide. You weren't to the middle of the cage on that one that you needed to be. You know, it exposes those guys to those things, and you can give them more feedback, which, again, thinks them help, help them communicate. Yeah, awesome stuff, man. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your, your, your take on two-man games, you know, philosophically, um, offensively speaking. You know, you referenced the Canadian box lacrosse influence over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years in particular. Um, you know, everybody is running pairs offenses these days. Obviously, the big little stuff behind has been around for a while. But um, what's your take, your philosophy on it? How do you teach it? Um, you know, any interesting thoughts on that? Well, I think we start, number one, you know, in our shooting drills, um, we do a few drills that we call pick and slips and so we come off a pick uh we fade and feed to a guy's helmet and uh we we learn how to slip and we you know we we teach them because again if you haven't played other sports you know and guys are learning how to play the pick game they're always turning their their, their back to the ball all the time they don't keep their eye on the ball um they just don't know how to roll properly because they never played basketball um 
So that, I think our two-man game starts right in our shooting drills with the pick-and-slip drills that we do uh, and the pick-and-repick drills that kind of reinforce all those concepts that you're kind of talking about, you know, when we're playing a two-man game so that they're used to picking a lot because they do it with their, their shooting drills. They, they've learned how to slip. They've learned how to keep their eye on the ball. They've learned how to step back coming off a pick if they see a guy jump them so that they can step back and fade the feed ball, feed with, a, you know, what you call a lever pass right to the, to the guy's face mask. Um, and we do all that just in a shooting drill. And then we also do another shooting drill what we call repick drill, where you'll come off a pick, the guy will dodge down a little bit farther, and then you come and repick, you know, the guy after he comes off the corner at coming off a pick, and he's slowed down, and he's grinded a little bit on the corner instead of panic and throwing it to X, and then he comes back off the pick, you know, which is a situation that we would do sometimes within our offense. So it starts. How, how often do you do those repicks in your offense? Do you do those fairly often? Um, somewhat, yeah. Um, that if we don't create space, we'll repick or a matchup. Um, but we, we have a lot of little picks off the corner that we do um, in our offense. We, we run that little bit of scramble. A lot of people are running up top of three and four guys, you know, pass down, pick down, coming off it and carrying across the middle and then going pass down, pick down again on the other side. So we are doing that stuff within our offense, but I think teaching it starts in the shooting drills. And then the second thing that I think the way we teach it is then we're going to get into a two-on-two -two scenario. And uh, in that two-on-two -two scenario, when we're playing, um, we're talking about a few few things. First of all, I think the common mistake when everybody teaches a two-man game is that, you know, the guy that's setting the pick is just – he's not – he doesn't do it right, you know. And we call peekaboo. You know, when, the, when that guy's setting the pick, he's playing peekaboo with the guy who's got a pick. You just can't let him see him, you know. He's, he's got to kind of disguise it to the point that that guy doesn't know the pick is coming. Um, and so, you know, we talk about playing peekaboo in the two-man game and, and playing two-on-two -two so that they learn to get better at, you know, maybe fading more to the middle and coming up behind a guy to set the pick up. Uh, we talk about deception coming off the pick and trying to maybe uh, go the other way, opposite where you want to end up um, so you can set up the picks better. And then we, and we, so we play, you know, that in the two-on-two -two scenarios and the four-on-four -four scenarios where we reinforce the, you know, the two-man game a little bit. Um, and we do a lot of big little behind because I don't believe in single invert anymore, kind of taking that out of our repertoire. Um, you know, the, the defenses have gotten too good. And, and when you single invert, uh, it's pretty easy to, to get into some kind of quick slide package and, and get people out of it. But, uh, people haven't found that quick slide package and uh, the other stuff to, to defend the, the, you know, the big little behind quite as well as they have just, you know, the game is evolved of defending the, the single invert. So we do a lot of the, you know, two-man game behind with, uh, with that. But we play a lot of four and four and do, you know, hey, playing four and four, you got to have two picks. You got to have two screens off the ball before we shoot, you know, and, and that teaches them to, to bring it to the, to the six-on-six game. So overall, all of this adds up to how much – are you able to um, create a culture of creativity within your offensive players? Well, I think, you know, a lot of that's kind of started right from the beginning. We talked, go back when we talked about deception in basketball, you know, we're bringing that deception and those things to the three on twos, four on three drills. Hey, let's, we're trying to freeze people. We're trying to fake people. And, and we're trying to encourage them to do that. Um, 
you know, more all the time in those drills so that they can bring it more to the, you know, hitch and shoot and all the, I mean, we do a lot of hitch and shoot drills too. So they get better at hitching and freezing their defenders. Um, but I think the things in the small side of drills create opportunities to do those things so that players become more conscious of them. And then another thing is, you know, we talked to some of the guys that aren't very fast. You know, hey, you're not real quick. Like, we got a kid named Bromwell, a sophomore, but he shoots at like 95 miles an hour. He's not the fastest cat, but he's not slow. But he's learning to get down on the corner and grind a little bit. He'll throw a high fake and the freeze the defender, and all of a sudden he'll get a half step and he get that 95 mile an hour shot up. Hey, deception makes you fast, <laughs> or it makes you appear fast. You know. Um, and so if you get good at deception and you get a good at some of these fakes, you guys that aren't quite maybe as fast as some of these other guys, all of a sudden get the things that you need to do to be appear fast. And so, you know, you talked about those guys. Hey, this is the next part of your game. If you're going to get, you know, especially a kid like Bromwell. I mean, how many, you've seen a lot of guys over time that could bring the ball really, really fast, but never could get any shots off, you know, and I've coached a lot of those guys over the years. And I've seen a lot of guys that I've seen play that, man, guy shoots at hundred miles an hour, but you know, he doesn't score any goals. Why he doesn't get any shots off. He can't create any space. Deception and box fakes. That's the key to those guys. No doubt. The next step player, they they have to learn that stuff, or they never never get any shots off. So true. And you know, as it relates to this, when you're if there's coaches listening that you know are like, wow, I really like Coach Berkman's model and you know uh, of development and and encouraging creativity. But you know, where do you draw the line between creativity and you know being smart, being responsible? Um, trying something versus being careless you know it's a it's a it's it's a little bit of a slippery slope um, I tend to lean personally towards I'd rather have my guys be creative and smart at the same time which means if they if it was a good decision but a behind the back pass that was a bad pass I'll live with it but if it was a bad decision on a behind the back pass and I try to draw the line there but how do you draw that line you know, I think a lot of times in the three-on-twos, four-on-threes, you know, every once in a while, it's not all the time. Your kid is doing exactly what you're saying. And a lot of times I just let it go. Yeah. You know, just, hey, you know what? It, was a bad, it wasn't a bad idea, but he just yeah. didn't make the play. Uh, but, you know, over time, you know, because you get to practice, you, you start to realize who, who maybe can do those things and who maybe can't do those things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a point that, you know, there, there comes that time when uh, – Hey, Jim Berkman's got the green light, but Jamie Monroe doesn't based on what he's done over the time that, you know, you got to get on Jamie a little bit because Jamie thinks he's really creative, but you know what, his skill ain't quite there that, Hey, you know what, Jamie, this isn't your bag of tricks right now. And so you, you prove you can complete a couple of those in those four and threes, five and four drills. You can't be coming out and getting your, you know, your one shift, your third line midi and throwing around the back pass and throwing it in the ground. You know, you're probably never going to get another shift. Yeah. So there becomes a, Point. So it takes care of itself a little bit, you think? Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Coach, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about your advice for parents uh, and kids as it relates to the recruiting process. Well, first of all, Jamie, I think that um, we, we put too much in the hands of maybe the club coaches in some ways. We just think that if we go and play on a club team, that it's all going to happen to us. We go to these tournaments and – you know, it, it, it's just going to happen. I think that to start with, I think the kids and the, and the mom and dads, first of all, got to come up with a plan, you know, for this summer, how are we going to get better? You know, how's my game going to get better? And 
and I think about just like shooting. We talk about being better shooters all the time. And a kid goes and plays in five tournaments for X club team, and he's a midi, and he plays five games a weekend. And, you know, and I ask him, you know, how many shots did you get this weekend? He said, well, you know, coach, I got a couple shots each game and, you know, played five games. Well, you got 10 shots this weekend. Man, that's really helping your student. Uh, I don't know if anybody who plays basketball or any sport that takes 10 shots in a weekend is going to get a whole lot better. Um, I think we're playing in too many tournaments to start with. I think two or three are, are, are good. Uh, I think the other days we got to think about, hey, instead of going and playing for eight hours or spending my whole weekend, why don't we just spend an hour on Saturday and Sunday with a ball bucket with 200 balls in it, and let's shoot 400 shots on Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, I'll take the guy that went out and shot the shots any day over the guy that went and played in the tournament because he's going to have a whole lot better shot. You know, when guys get to us, the guys who play sooner than later, and it doesn't matter if it's us or Hopkins or Virginia, wherever it is, they're men when they get there. You know, they're not boys. They've had a great, great plan in the weight room. They know what they do on Mondays when they go to the weight room. It's not a haphazard. I'm just going to show up at the weight room. Hey, Mondays, you know, it's chest and tries. I got to do a half-hour footwork, a wall ball for 40 minutes. They, they got a mission with a, a documented plan of what they got to do to get stronger, faster, and quicker. Um, and I think mom and dad can help them a lot with that plan uh, and help them be accountable. So in the end, they're better. They're better athletes. They're, they're more skilled. They've learned to give an uncommon effort at the common things so that their skill set is pretty special. And, uh, and they're going to be ready to arrive as men when they get there. So they're going to be more apt to play as freshmen than, the, than they were if uh, they get to us and they're boys and it takes us a year or two to make them men. Um, what they always forget is that when they arrive, as good as they think they are, you know, they're playing against 22 and 23-year-old men who've been getting after it pretty hard for four years. That, you know, that defenseman isn't guarding that five foot eight, 140-pound attackman anymore. He's guarding that 6'2 guy that weighs 210, and that's a big difference. So I think having a plan to getting better, maybe not playing quite as much, but practicing more, I think is a whole lot more important to being ready to make that step. Um, and then when you go to play, I think that you, because you're only playing in two or three tournaments, I think that you're, you're fresh. I think is sometimes, you know, a kid by trying to get his exposure is actually costing himself, you know, opportunities because he's playing haphazardly. You know, he's played five tournaments and weekends in a row. And, you know, I happened to watch him on Sunday morning. The kid's just mentally and physically exhausted. I, you know, doesn't run to get in the hole. I'm thinking, man, that kid's a dog. Maybe he's not a dog. He's just exhausted because he's just played too much. You know, he needed to stay home and practice a little bit more. So I think having a plan about how we do it and getting better individually, maybe playing a little less and practicing a little more is a, is a good step for anybody. Um, I also think that um, it's okay to let parents to, to let your kid fail a little bit, you know, so they learn how to respond to failure. I think adversity teaches a lot of resilience. Um, and it teaches them what they're going to have to deal with when they make that next step. Cause it's not going to be all peaches and roses when they arrive to, to the next step of lacrosse. It's going to be, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be difficult. Everybody's, you know, I don't care how good everybody is when they show up, they, uh, they get very humbled no matter where they go. They think they had a great stick and all of a sudden they get there and they realize their stick's not so good. They think that they're really strong and they're not so strong. They think they can create separation and they can't get it. And so how they respond to that one as freshmen is going to go a long way, you know, to how hard they're going to work uh, to get their skill set ready to, to make that jump to be a little bit more competitive when they get there. But if they've never failed and everything's okay, 
And I had one of those kids in here this morning who was a really great high school faceoff kid, and uh, he's getting the death beat out of him by two seniors right now. <laughs> he's, he, he was actually crying in my office this morning about, you know, how bad he's doing. And, you know, and, and I said, you know, you're not responding to, to opportunity. You getting beat is actually an opportunity to get better. Every time you lose to Brett and to TJ, it's a chance for you to learn something that you got to do, whether it's you got to get stronger, you got to get quicker, you got to counter. And I said, not only that, you haven't responded in that way, that when we go into a full field drill, you're struggling to pass and catch. And I know that's not you as a player because you're thinking about the last play you didn't make instead of the next play you got to make. And so he hasn't responded real well. So we talked about working a little bit better the next few days on, on responding to failure, ceasing his opportunity, and then moving on to the next thing. You know, the goalie's always worried about the last shot he didn't save. He's going to be in, in deep trouble because <laughs> he's got to worry about the next one he's going to save. So failing a little bit before you get there and teaching people how to respond to it, I think, is a, is a really good thing. It's not always okay to make everything okay. Um, putting your kids in a position to fail a little bit, I think, is actually a really good thing for them, you know, down the road for sure. It creates a little mental toughness, you know. I mean, it's like if you've never been yelled at, if you've never failed, <clears throat> if you don't know how to respond, it's just probably not a good thing in, in life in general, not just lacrosse, right? Yeah, because it's not – when they get to college, you know, the, the college coach's job is to make them the best athlete and player and student athlete they can. And it's not – our job is not to make you feel really good so you're going to keep enrolling our program and we're going to keep money making money. You know, we yeah. we got to make you the best. And if we don't make you the best, then we're not going to have a good team. And so there's going to be times when – we have to question you. There's going to be times that we have to, to push you maybe a little bit harder than you pushed yourself. There's going to be times when you're going to have to sit and watch to get the point. And you know, a lot of that doesn't happen anymore. Everybody wants to make everybody feel good. So they'll play for their club and then they'll make money and everything will be okay. Well, everything's not going to be okay. It's not going to be okay at Salisbury. It's not going to be okay with coach Petromala. It's not going to be okay. You know, with, a, with the Hopkins and Maryland coaches, there's going to be times when they, they got to call you out a little bit to try to get you to do what you need to do um, so that you can reach the, the level that you're capable of doing it. And, uh, and some kids have never been, been questioned. Everything's just been okay. And then just the littlest thing, it just, they, they go into a shell. Um, and they got to learn how to deal with that a little bit. And yeah, a lot, of the times, a lot of the times the coaches – are, are just sort of seeing who you are and, and, you know, you might be doing fine, but they, maybe they want more out of you. I, I remember when my son was trying out for the junior A team in Coquitlam, BC, uh, when he was 18. And I was like, so I was like, Colin, how, how's it going? He's like, I don't know. I got yelled at last night. So I figured that's a good thing. <laughs> and, and, and most of the time when kids get yelled at, their parents are turning around and, you know, saying this coach is mean, you know, he's ruining my son's confidence. And, and, and really, you know, I think that when you get to the next level, boy, you better be, better be ready to, uh, you know, to hear some criticism. Yeah. But not only criticism, and we're not like we're yelling at people, but you, you gotta be able to, to it, it's, there's going to be times that you got to respond, you know, and, and it's not always going to be a perfect environment. And, uh, you just got to be able to be a little re resilient and, and, and yes. you know, I had two freshmen in here this morning. Today was our academic meetings and they're, they're on the cusp. They're on that third line right now. And they're really good freshmen and um, they're knocking on the door. 
And so, you know, I asked both of them, you know, you know, how much wall ball are you doing? Well, you know, coach, I'm doing the days that we have to do on our, on our contact days and I'm doing one other day on the weekend. And I said, are you working as hard as you can work? And they both responded, no, I, you know, I probably could do a little bit more wall ball. And I said, well, if I was you, I said, and I was on the third midfield line, I wouldn't be just content that I've moved, you know, up the ladder. I would be saying, you know what, if one of those guys gets hurt in the second line, I want coach calling my name. So I'm going to be on that wall six times a week. So my stick gets a little bit better than the other freshman that's sitting next to me because I don't want him calling his name instead of my name to get that opportunity. I said, that's what I would do if I was you, you know, but they were almost like content for a minute that, Hey, we, you know, this is kind of where I'm at. I made a good step. I've separated myself from some of the other guys and I'm right there knocking on the door. Well, you know, don't be content with knocking on the door. Let's be content to be, Hey, I'm the next man up based on my performance, or I'm going to make coach really think about that. I'm better than one of those upperclassmen so that I'm ready to be on that second line. Um, and they were kind of, you know, at first when I started saying, I don't think you're working hard enough, they looked at me like they thought I was crazy. Uh, but then when I kind of explained to them, you know, this is the opportunity that presents itself, you know, you, you know, as well as I do, it doesn't take a whole lot to go out there, you know, four other days for a half hour. I'm only talking about two hours. Um, you know, you sat at lunch with the, the pretty girl that was blonde for an extra half hour today. That could have been wall ball, you know. Um, so then in the end, they, they kind of, they, they got it, but, you know, it was you know, they didn't quite understand that they thought they were working hard, but they could work a little bit better. So the last question, and, and just to sort of sum it up, um, <clears throat> have a plan, have a development plan, have a plan that's, you know, does a little bit less of the, of the events and a little bit more of the practice. Um, you know, let your kids fail a little bit. You don't have to bail them out because they're going to learn from that. And it's a good thing, especially failing when you're younger. But the, but the, the thing that a lot of think a lot of parents, the issue that a lot of parents have or the, 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 where they get nervous is they're like, well, how, I need to, my, my son needs to get recruited. I need to get him seen. So I need to go to these events. And I feel like that they just get pulled in two separate directions. One is I, I need to sign, I, I, you know, I need, I need coach Berkman to see me play. And I know he's going to be at this event and I want to go to his prospect camp. And I want to go to coach Petramala's prospect camp. And all of a sudden they are going to a lot of events and a lot of uh, tournaments and um, their club team saying, well, you know, these are the four or five tournaments we're going to, if you want to play on our team, you have to do it. And then all of a sudden you've got four or five club tournaments and then you got Maverick and you know uh, all these prospect days. And before you know it, you really are doing 10 or 20 of these things in a year. And it's, it's a, it's a really hard spiral to get out of. So what's your advice on that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I do like prospect camps. You know, they don't cost a, most athletes as much as it would be to go to an event so that they get seen for three or four hours by that staff. But, it, you know, I think, again, it starts a little bit, Jamie. You know, we, we put too much into lacrosse to, to the point that we forget about what's, what's best for the school that's going to give me the major, it's going to give me the opportunity. Where do I really want to go to a school that's going to create an opportunity for my future? And everybody's basing it more than where I'm going to go to play lacrosse. Um, so narrowing some of those things down, I think initially like, Hey, uh, you know, I really would like to go to a top 10 school that has a great business school. And he, and then he's, and I'd like to, you know, what, where, what are those schools? And then putting myself in front of those coaches, because that's where I want to get seen. You know, if, uh, I really want to go to, you know, the NESCAC because I want to be in one of those schools, 
you know, I'm not going to go to tournaments in California. I'm going to go to one of the tournaments in New England where all those NESCAC coaches are going to be at. So right. being a little more strategic based on the schools that you really want to go to initially and then have an opportunity to play lacrosse versus I always want to play lacrosse and then we'll think about the academic part, I think will help guide some of your choices of what, where you're going, what showcases, what prospect camps, or even what club teams sometimes, you know, and, and the, the opportunities, you know, if your club team's not coming back east all the time and there's no way you're going to get exposure back east, maybe you need to do plan B for the club team. Yeah, no doubt. It's really hard for the, you know, I live in Colorado. Every time we want to go to a prospect day, you know, it's 2000 bucks to fly there with, you know, mom, you know, mom and son goes and you got two flights, you got hotel, even if the prospect, they only cost 150 bucks, you know, at the, at the rental car hotel flight, it's, it's, it's tough for the, uh, for all those, all those kids in the Midwest and the West that have to fly. But, you know, part of it is just love of the game. And I do think that there's something to be said for just, you know, what working at something, being passionate about trying to be the best you can be and then letting the chips fall where it, where the, where they may, isn't always the worst thing in the world either, because in the end, you know, if our kids are working their tails off and have dreams and are willing to sacrifice and commit to them, then that's probably the, the, the best lesson of all. Yeah. And in the end, if, if they're, if they're that good, they're, de the, you know, the top level, they're going to get seen. If they're that good, they're not going to get missed. Um, but then, you know, there's a whole bunch of other lacrosse opportunities for people that are on that second and third tier that want to play lacrosse. And I think especially, you know, the kid that's going to be playing a low-level Division three player, you know, there, there's a lot of great schools in a lot of different areas that, you know, they should be strategic about what academic opportunities and where that kid wants to go to school, identifying those schools, and then letting the lacrosse decisions be following that there, um, those schools after that. So, Jim, uh, if people want to learn more about you and your program um, and come to some prospect days, when are they and how do they do that? Well, our next two prospect camps coming up, uh, we have a big one on December 2nd, which is a Sunday in early December. We usually have pretty good weather on the shore, so that's a really good one. Um, it seems to be an extremely competitive one, too, because it's kind of like after the November recruiting piece for most kids, and uh, it's a downtime. And then we use, we'll have one on the third Sunday in February um on the day after the uh the, the Gettysburg game um on Saturday so a lot of kids will come into the game on Saturday and then they'll stay for the prospect camp on Sunday those are our next two and then we'll have a couple next summer in July uh June and in July and your guys prospect camps are uh are, are great developmentally right very similar to how you would run a practice yeah we uh we run a practice for about an hour and a half and do a lot of our drills we also put you in some small sided games we'll put you in a small sided situation seven on seven for a while so we can really see people um and then we'll get to the full sided games at the end but we do a lot of our drills um you know and so you're, you're playing for four hours right in front of us and you learn a lot of our drills and get a lot of reps a lot of touches goalie see a lot of rubber um so it's a good evaluation piece for uh, for all our coaches that are there uh, on that day to, to see if it's a really good fit for you and uh, and what we're looking for awesome and what's the website it's right on our seagull website in the upper right hand corner it says seagull academy click the seagull, seagull academy and the old registration will pop right down and you can register right on our website awesome 
Well, listen, it's, it's really uh, awesome advice, Coach. Um, I really enjoyed everything that you stand for, the way you work at it. Uh, you know, it's reflected in, in the success you've had. But really, it's like you said, it's, it's win the day. And uh, it's just a great mantra. It's a great mentality. And uh, it's paying off for you. And hopefully it'll shed some, uh, some light to some parents and other kids out there on, on how they can try to be the best for themselves. So once again, I really appreciate you coming on this show. And um, we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks, Jamie. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool.